0: Quickly before we go ahead and start today's episode guys, we have a sponsor for today's episode. Today's sponsor is Platinum Profits. They are a group engineered towards making you profits. They yeah, are with useful features, staff, tools that will help you succeed in the reselling business. When you go ahead and join Platinum Profits, they will offer you multiple flips, such as sport cards, Pokemon, low key flips, and brick flips, and tools to give you the best sneaker success, such as early stock numbers, auto filler for all members, detailed drop re-cards, and exclusive sneaker information. I highly recommend you go ahead and check them out. I will leave their links down below. If you hit the top link on the sponsor section and type in the password of the Bot Talk, you can get access to their group right now. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to a brand new Bot Talk episode. In today's episode, we're going to be sitting down with Alex from Zonops Labs. This is an episode that people have pushed me for a very long time. We finally got Alex on the show. It's going to be a good one. I'm going to begin with a common question I ask all the guests on the show. How do you discover reselling?
1: So... I started reselling probably about when I was 14 or 15. And this is because one of my friends from school was really into Supreme and I didn't really care about it initially, but he kept talking about it and talking about it until one day I was like, yo, tell me more about it. I was like, for instance, how much is Supreme? And he was like, you know, t-shirts are like £35. And back then the hoodies were like 118 quid. But he said that to me, and fourteen-year-old me, that was an absurd amount of money. So I was like, "What on earth? You like, why are you spending that?" And he was like, "No, no, no, it's the resale value that's good." And I was like, "I was like, I was like, what's the resale?" So he was like, "If you can buy the hoodie and then sell it for more." So fourteen-year-old me was a bit mind blown, and back then, that was when like the Secondhand Supreme Market was still big, like StockX didn't really exist, like people didn't care about dead stock stuff. So, what you could do was still wear the hoodie or wear the item and then still sell it for like a fat profit. So, you know, like 14 year old me was absolutely mind blown at the thought of just buying clothes, wearing them, and then selling them for more than you paid.
0: Yeah, definitely. It is an interesting concept because when you usually go to like self reduced funnels or any type of retail store, once you but on that item, it uh, reduces in value essentially. So let's say you bought it for 100 pounds, you wear it for two, three months, you'll flip it on Zpop or wherever for 80 pounds because you've worn it, it has like, the quality obviously reduces from when it was initially produced and that uh, then uh, translates over to its retail val- resale value, sorry, on the aftermarket. So yeah, reselling it is an interesting concept and I think everyone does have that similar reaction. Like, uh, whether you stumble across it from YouTube videos or you speak to friends, like you said, the idea of buying something and selling it for more when you paid X price and you can sell it for a higher price is always a really, really interesting concept and that contributes towards people obviously going into the hobby, getting into the market, and then obviously gaining more knowledge about it and then going down that route. But when you initially uh, learn about reselling, obviously you know there is a large entry point. So we spoke about the price point of which you were surprised about at the time you are 14 years, years old. Not a lot of 14 year olds have a lot of disposable income. So what made you want to continue reselling once you were first introduced to it?
1: Um, I would say probably um what I used to do was because obviously back then, like I think it was about five years ago or whatever, you know, bots weren't really a thing. Like it was still people could still manually or people would have small scripts here and there. But what I used to do with Supreme and Palace is that I'd buy the item where it wants for an Instagram picture. <laughs> with the tags on and everything and then obviously sell it for more than I paid, which is a which used to be I'm not sure now, which used to be a very common thing to do. So, you know it, is, did, it yeah. is a common
0: thing, yeah. Cause like you have uh one person that I still follow, uh that comes to mind, he's like Ari Petru, he does that. Yeah. Man like UK biggest hype beast, you know. Yeah. Bro, that market has died off, you know. Like that whole hype beast, like type of mentality, and that entire like audience has died off dramatically, and it's Yo, mad to see.
1: Hundred percent. Even with like StockX, forever like, um, OG, OG like Facebook, streetwear people will know, but like the secondhand Supreme market or like vintage Supreme, quote unquote, now used to be massive. Like the old TNFs like if any any people watching remember, you know, the um, checkered. TNF, the yellow checker TNF used to go for an absolute bag and a half, but now it's probably worth about half, maybe, of what it used to go for just because people don't wear it anymore. It's, you know, people want to keep it dead stock, sell it on StockX, sell it on Goat, sell it on whatever marketplace they want
0: yeah i definitely agree with you there and obviously when it comes to reselling there's a lot of money to be made and that kind of keeps people in the loop it kept me in the loop kept you in the loop and obviously it contributed to where we are at the moment but one thing i did want to mention obviously with the sneaker reselling scene Within that, it kind of gets subjected into different categories. You have, the, obviously, Sneaker Twitter, the botting Twitter. You have people that don't touch bots that are like, completely against it ethically. And there's different types of, like, certain groups that people get segregated into when, you're say, when you say you're into reselling. So I do want to ask you, how did you enter this specific community?
1: Um, I would say I joined Sneaker Twitter itself about just over two years ago. Because so I think I saw it from one of these Instagram groups. And I was like, oh, I keep taking L's. They they apparently can help me take a W. So then I joined. And obviously, initially, it's incredibly overwhelming. But I sat down, you know, over a few days, just read into everything, just started getting more engrossed within the community itself. And then, I don't know, just basically I was like oh this, like, this is what a bot is you know this is you know learning what proxy is what server is what all of this is
0: yeah I'd say overwhelming is the correct word to use because there's so many elements of this community that you need to be well versed on just to be somewhat successful like when you join this community when I joined it back in 2018 uh, literally I got a role in this community within the first 48 hours which is unheard of back then but Essentially, when it comes to learning everything, I think it does take time. I don't think that your first day in this community, you're gonna learn about proxies, servers, ISPs, bots, everything, it does take time. However, I will say now, the idea of joining this community, I'd say there's advantages and disadvantages to it. Advantages are there's loads more YouTube content. Back then, back in 2018 is what I'm referring to, because that was my entry point. There wasn't as much videos on this type of stuff. The whole YouTube scene behind reselling was overall pretty dead. Uh, sorry, the botting scene on YouTube is pretty dead. But now it's a lot. there's a lot more documentation out there. But uh, people would argue that the entry point in terms of capital is a lot higher. We've spoke about this on previous episodes as well. Obviously bots being uh, pretty expensive and you, ha- you having to invest a lot more money into it. But one question I did want to pose to you. If... Let's say you're 15 now. So you are born a few years um, later and you discovered the reselling scene and the buying scene as it is now. What, would you enter the market knowing how much money you have to invest or would you kind of stay away from it because of how big the uh, uh, entry levels are?
1: Um, I would still definitely enter it, but using a different strategy. Like, you know, 15-year-olds, there's not many 15-year-olds that have a lot of money that can, you know, drop, you know, about, a house deposit, you know, say if you're buying Dragon for 20 grand or whatever. So, you know, most 15-year-olds have, I'd say, couple hundred pounds maximum. So what I would do is I'd probably join a group and look into slots initially because that, that, in terms of risk to reward, is very, very low because if you join a good enough group, they'll run you free slots. And so you know you're not paying for the bot you're not paying for a rental you're not paying for proxies so you know that cost for the slot is nothing to you and they can potentially get you you know an item that resells for a lot more so you know let's say somebody's running slots for a supreme box logo they even hit you one you know you've made i think you know like 100 pounds and you've basically spent nothing on it however you know it doesn't translate to big bulk um purchases or turnover or profit so you know you think you just start off small and then you just work your way up reinvest all the money don't spend it just keep reinvesting it and if you're smart enough you can easily make you know i'd say a good part-time job or for some people even a good full-time job
0: definitely yeah it does link to the idea that i I did want to speak about and Let's cast our minds back to our original conversation about saying you were like 14, 15 at the time of joining this community. So let's say you were 15. At 15 years of age, you know, that is the age, uh, at least in the UK, I'm not sure about other places, where kids start to look for part-time jobs for more disposable income because obviously they're going out more, they want to spend more money to buy certain things, they don't want to rely on their parents. Some don't even have the choice, some do, but... It does bring me on to that, uh the question i did want to ask what was some of your first roles in the community that allows you to create this stream of income
1: oh okay um so my first ever sneaker twitter job was a mod in kenda notify which if you remember that you yeah. are you are an og if you remember kenda notify and kenda he still owes me money actually um
0: <laughs> yeah i really give context so like. Basically to any views we've known each other since like what 2018 like yeah, what was it for about so, two like, years, yeah. yeah, so we pretty much know this entire background. I'm just saying it's all the views now but yeah Kenda notify okay continue from there and we'll uh, we'll we'll take out some points from it
1: yeah, so then that was my first ever role it was like a mod like general release info working for that and then Kenda Notify only lasted like what I think it was like two or three months or whatever yeah because then it merged with Ping Patrol and then obviously I, I got switched over to them and then I was in a couple of other groups doing general mod stuff, running slots or whatever, just your usual like your general like mod cook group, mod really, nothing really special. And then, you know, that was that was a decent income on top of the reselling. And then um my next job after that was uh, about just over a year ago when I was staffed for Ophelia AIO, which was an EU bot. Well, I still is actually doing really well. Um, and then obviously from there, just went to doing what I do now, sort of, pretty much.
0: So with your first roles, obviously we talked about Can the Ping Patrol, and Ping Patrol was where we actually first met. And it's really interesting because obviously I started at Adept with Alex, and we were the first two support members, and then Alex went off and branched into ping with Swift, and then that's where I met you because I was the YouTube manager there. You are like a, I think you were like a support member or something like that. I think.
1: Yeah, but, or something like
0: that. Yeah, so it's interesting just to see how everything connects because now, if you skip two years forward, you've got Swift. Like he just coughed an R eight the other day. We were speaking about this. Like that's insane. It's, that it's mad. And then, obviously, Alex has his own trading group and all that stuff. He's doing well for yourself, himself. sorry. And, obviously, you have Zonos Labs. I have a YouTube channel. But, you know, we keep we keep it moving. We keep it moving. But um, it's interesting to see how everyone's kind of grown from that point. And, uh, obviously, I think the most important point that I do want to highlight from this conversation uh, in relation to roles is that, be- is that all big people didn't start in those positions. Like, everyone kind of built their way up to where they are now so if you look at someone with six thousand seven thousand followers uh, one day they'd start their Twitter with zero followers and then they joined these groups they built their reputation they built their name and then they continued it built their own businesses and that's how you get towards the top or even um, reputable in this community
1: oh yeah hundred percent like you know there's I can't think of anybody who didn't start off you know quote unquote famous you know everybody everybody is simped for a bot in their time basically at some point in time you have dropped a reply under a bot tweet saying i will do anything for this bot and let's not lie here
0: yeah i mean but obviously you go through that period of time where because a lot of these like simps or whatever you want to call them but a lot of these people that want these bots simply just can't afford them and i feel like me and you can both relate to that point where like you know we didn't we, at this point we don't have we didn't have as much money as we did back then like back then we were pretty much like bare bones compared to now and, oh yeah
1: 100% yeah like
0: I think I was getting paid from paying about $150 a month convert it to pounds that's like what 134 pounds something like that or maybe like even lower and I'm not sure how much you were getting paid but like back then it, was, it wasn't a lot compared to what we've been able to build and uh, this happens for everyone I'm not trying to pick each other up right now but like a lot of people start from these roles, build their reputation, build their name, build everything, and then their income then builds from that. Yeah, so we spoke about the first roles in the community and how you developed your name, how you got understanding for the scene, because I'm pretty sure that like every big person in this community went through that phase to actually understand the scene. But what piqued your interest in developing? Because we spoke back then, and if you told me that you'd be a developer, I owner of a bot. Two years later, I'd be like, "What are you talking about? Like, you you never showed any interest in developing to me anyway or to anyone in the group until obviously you picked it up. So, what kind of piqued your interest in developing? Uh, obviously, leading you to the point you are now.
1: Um, I would say so. I started coding probably back in year nine, maybe just doing basic Scratch. If you know, if you know, you know. And then I never really touched it for a few years just because it was boring. But then when I see all these sneaker bots, like that is really exciting. And, you know, back then I saw some of them and I thought I can do a better job than that. You know, I feel like if I owned a bot, I would do better than that. I could do better. And I was like, I will do better. Then I started, I started making like random scripts here and there, just like, just like learning about sneaker Twitter coding versus like, You know coding in any other sort of job role and then eventually i was like okay let's actually make a bot this time you know let's see how it goes you know i feel like it's gonna be fun and you know i'm not gonna lie you know the money is a very big motivator as well
0: yeah i think one thing i didn't want to take out that uh, sentence that you just said you mentioned the divide between sneaker twitter like a sneaker bot encoding and actual real world application coding is there a difference there obviously i'm not coding myself so i wouldn't know but is there like a big difference
1: um that it probably varies between bots really but think you know if if you look at most tech jobs if you go on any sort of job hunting website you know you're not going to see someone saying i need i need you to make a bot with a ui with this api with that api you know, it's all it's all different, you know. Some job roles require, you know, um data management, data analysts or whatever, whereas other coding jobs, you know, are creating the back end for websites. It's all varied, but sneaker Twitter generally sneaker coding is in its own sort of bubble, really. Like if you speak to people who are quite experienced with developing, you know, making like a full request bot or like a browser bot to them is seems a bit alien to them as they've never had to do that before if that makes sense
0: yeah i think i understand what you mean i mean the idea of uh obviously i'm not gonna pretend city and pretend i know what i'm talking about but the idea of creating like browser sessions or taking sorry the idea of creating browser session and hitting a website and to each browser session doing a certain thing i think to like most real world coders it's just a weird thing to do i think i think that's probably what uh their idea of it would be because you know most real world coders don't know about this scene they don't know how much money you could make and obviously anyone with coding experience with enough obviously maturity uh with a business mindset could obviously make some good money and we did touch upon that when you were like creating on us and you were creating the idea for it was money one of the factors pushing you towards it or was it originally just the idea of you doing it better than the composition?
1: Oh, no, still 100% still is doing it better than other people, you know, being the best. But obviously, you know, naturally, money will always be a motivator at some point. I don't know whether that's, you know, if there's older people listening to this. They might be like, you know, um, shaking their head at this, going, no, no, money shouldn't be a motivator. But when you're this age, you know, it, it is. And, you know, there's, you know, sneaker twitter is, relative gold mine as such with the amount of money that goes about. And, you know, when you, you know, spending countless hours doing something, you do want to be rewarded monetarily. And I don't think anybody could disagree with me on that.
0: Yeah, definitely. I do agree with you. Obviously, like you said, this community is a gold mine and there's plenty of money to be made in this community. And I'm glad you're doing it. Plenty of people do it in this community. Plenty of people pick up coding specifically for the reason that they can create these products and then they can go ahead and capitalize on it just because of the fact that there is a customer base here available for them to obviously seek their hand into these products and then that those products enable them to make more money so in a way you are helping them
1: oh yeah exactly yeah because ultimately if you sell a good bot it should be a win-win for everybody you know you get money from selling the product and then the user ideally will make money from using that software to then buy the shoes and resell them, so you know no one's really left out of pocket or you know left unsatisfied. In an ideal situation, obviously, realistically, you know that doesn't happen for everybody. But for the vast majority of people and transactions between bot companies and users, it's always you know a win-win or positive overall.
0: Yeah, definitely, because with bots, they enable you to obviously make more money. But depending on what bot you're buying, there is an aftermarket value there as well. So obviously that win-win situation comes back into play, regardless of the bot hits, you know, you could easily take that bot and rent it. You can rent it out every month and create an income stream for yourself. And eventually at some point, once you've covered the retail cost, you're basically just secured yourself a way to make monthly revenue just by letting it sit there. So obviously there is a ton of ways to make money in this community. But casting back to a conversation we were having earlier about coding, How did you begin coding? Now, the reason why I ask this question is because people like myself and people that have expressed interest in learning how to code, they really don't know how to do it. And I feel like that is probably one of the biggest problems when people want to learn how to code. They don't know really where to turn. They don't know if they should go to like Code Academy, YouTube, or they should just start researching. How did you get into coding? Um,
1: I would say I've had this conversation with a lot of people who just DM me or whatever. And what I did was I initially, I didn't do any coding. I just did a lot of reading, just read all the documents, you know, maybe watch a few YouTube videos. Everybody's different. Some people prefer to watch a video. Some people prefer to read. Then eventually what I did was, you know, what I recommend is you just start with like a very small project idea. So for mine, it's on my GitHub. It was a Shopify account generator, you know, relatively simple-ish so you know going through that project you know and then whatever obstacle i came to I'd over i'd research how to fix it and then overcome it and then like i know in the future if that happens again i know what i'm doing and then you just do i just did more and more small projects and then slightly bigger ones and then you know basically whatever i wanted to make within reason i just decided to make it and i feel like you learn a lot better doing something you actually want to make rather than what someone tells you to make so like for instance in school or whatever if you're in computer science lessons you're getting told to make something you will not learn as fast as if you then go home and you decide to do a separate project yourself because you have that drive to learn and to do it and you will learn it a lot quicker than with a random teacher telling you you need to do it.
0: Yeah, definitely, I do agree with you there. I took computer science in secondary school, and uh, we were learning Python. I'm pretty sure that is within the main curriculum at the moment within secondary schools. And some of the main, uh, one of the assessments that is done is called a non-examining assessment. The abbreviation is NEA. A lot of computer science students within the UK will also click onto that. But one of the projects were like, we had to create a, uh, a system within Python for a hotel business. Where they registered how many guests were coming in how many customer points they'd get out and obviously i had no drive for the actual program whatsoever but i noticed that obviously to your point where when they handed over control of what we could make i just got a lot more interested because obviously i don't want to create this hotel system like it just seems very pointless but if you were to say to me create a python program that helps you revise for a test. So you can put in the questions, it randomizes the questions, and it sends you out the questions, you type in your answer, and it checks if it's right. That would pique my interest because obviously it's helping me and it's something I want to do. But uh, obviously speaking to your point about um, creating these projects, do you feel that uh, the education when it comes to computer science and obviously coding in general, need to be more adaptive towards what students want to make versus sticking to uh, what they've been instructed to teach?
1: That is a very good question, and it's a relatively difficult one to answer, because everybody wants to learn different things, like in your computer science class, I can guarantee you would probably be one of maybe three people that would be interested in, say, making some sort of sneaker bot, maybe. Because, you know, people who do computer science generally just want to go into like a safe, you know, developer role, you know, not you know relatively stress free and ultimately the schools are trying to teach you skills that will be useful in the real world rather than the sneaker twitter world so it's a hard one and again each school's different each school has a very slightly different curriculum each exam board's different so but I do agree that maybe giving students a little bit more freedom to what they want to make would probably work out better but then it doesn't put everyone on a different it puts everyone on a different sort of playing field. Cause you know, you might have the really smart kid go and make something really good. Then you have the people who might struggle a bit more making something simpler. And then how do you, com- you, know, how do you compare those? It'd be a bit unfair to compare that. Whereas if you give everyone the same project, you can then mark them the same, give them the same grade, you know, and reward them accordingly.
0: Yeah, I definitely just think it's it's for ease really. You know, if, you're, if they're assigned the same task, obviously depending on how they execute on that, that then creates a good score that grows in the grid, and that contributes towards obviously what grade they get at the end. It's an idea that I think the education system should play with just because of the fact that if you pair, I, from my understanding of how you're speaking, how I spoke to developers, creativity in your mind does play a good part into developing, I'd say, but just because of the fact, obviously, you create these ideas in your mind and you want to go execute them and that obviously uh, leads to the final result. But another thing I didn't want to tap into, you spoke about researching quite a bit in uh, your, uh, in one of your answers there. When it comes to coding, how much of it would you say, when you, at the start, is simple knowledge retention from you building these projects and how much of it is Googling how to do a certain thing? Um, Yeah,
1: so... um. I'd say once you've, once I was reading stuff, I would then go and try and replicate it without the documents next to me. And if I got stuck, I'd go back to them. Like you know, I recreated um, a simple proxy tester. You know, I think it was about five times trying to learn it. Like I'd do it one week, then i will come back to it the next week. Like, do I still remember how to do it? And it'd be like, I'd be like, no. But then eventually. You know, I did it enough times. I was like, yeah, I know exactly what I need to do. And then I can then translate what I learned from making that simple proxy script to then making something else. You you know what I mean? It's like, it's like learning anything really just do it enough times. If you're interested enough, you will learn it.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean. From how you're speaking about developing, it seems that there's a lot of overlap. And obviously when it comes to learning languages, um, there's a ton of overlap. It's like the English language. You learn, for example, how to say, A certain phrase, obviously that phrase is overlapped to certain words that go into different sentences, very similar to coding in my opinion, where certain elements you're going to learn from one project can be used in other projects and that kind of builds this whole inventory in your mind of what you're able to do confidently and obviously the parts where you're not confident, you research it, you retain that information and then it builds on your foundation of what you know.
1: Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Like I would say sort of related as, because you mentioned like language or whatever. For coding, I would say personally, learning a second language is a lot harder than say learning the third, the fourth, the fifth, because let's say for for me, personal example, I started off with Python, then my second language was JavaScript, and that was quite hard for me to go from being in like the nice comfort of this language that I knew, to then going into a brand new one, and I, I struggled at first, but then... Once, once you've learned it, then once you learn a second one, a third, the fourth, the rest of them, you can learn them quite quickly because they all then share quite a lot of similarities, similar syntax, similar ways they operate. And just generally, you know, you know what the best way to learn a new language is, if that makes sense. And I can imagine a lot of the bilingual people listening to this might understand as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. It does heavily relate towards uh, like actual spoken languages, just because of the fact that obviously once you learn your first one, your brain works in that certain way where it's easier to... It adapts more easily is probably what I'm trying to say. But yeah, definitely, I do agree with you there. Obviously, learning more languages, there is that learning curve at first, but then certain things are reused. Your brain's used to learning. So I feel like for me personally, I did a Python heavily in secondary school and through that time. And I think there was like a month where I was learning JavaScript. I got too busy and I stopped doing it, which I shouldn't have done. I should have stick to it. But I I'd agree where stepping out of your comfort zone of your first language and moving to a second one does become difficult. But I'd imagine if I did stick with it and I went on to a different language, it would have been easier because I've been able to adapt in that certain way. My brain works a bit differently and obviously it becomes easier to learn those further languages.
1: Yeah, because once you know two generally speaking the third will probably have some sort of overlap in some way you know you'll have similar um you know you have similar components of it and it won't look so foreign to you you'll be like oh okay i roughly know what this means and then you can you can progress a lot quicker what i'm trying to say
0: definitely i definitely do agree with you there but shifting gears towards zonos again and obviously we spoke about the idea that you wanted to create a product that was better than the competition because you felt like you could do it that's where you got into coding and that's why you created zonos so when it came to the early days of developing zonos and creating it into a product that you now sell how was that all like
1: so the and i'll need to give you probably a small timeline ish so about a year and a half ago maybe a bit more me and thomas who is the other owner we we became friends just just because and then a couple months later he started j-bot and then a couple months after that i started menace which if you remember that you're og yeah so then and then not much really happened particularly for the next few months and then just roughly about when the first uk lockdown happened I said to Thomas, it was almost like a fleeting comment. I was like, why don't we merge bots? Because we were, one, we were friends. Two, the bots were the same language. Three, they supported more or less the same sites. So I was like, what's the point in us being friends and competing against each other? Why don't we merge and synergize? You know, it didn't make a whole lot of sense competing for the stock when we could work together and hopefully take more if that makes sense and he was like oh that's actually quite a good idea let's do it so then we did so we merged i believe it was about early april ish roughly and then you know we merged the code bases we you know got to we added a load of new sites you know really up the efficiency of the code etc ready for beta to roll out which was may i believe so, yeah.
0: In that early stage, there is a few points I do want to extract from that. You mentioned Bear. Now, I'm pretty sure back then you weren't uh, you didn't have a paid bear, so essentially you were working on this product for free. Yeah. Now, how confident were you investing that time into that product knowing you weren't getting paid for it?
1: Um that is a very good question. Um I would say because when you're working on it and you're so passionate about it, you know that like you can't fail, if that makes sense. When you're when you wanna work, you've spent so long on it, worked so hard on it, and you've been testing it, and then like you know that it's gonna work. Like when we first dropped beta, literally the day after we dropped it, you know, we had people, you know, hitting, you know, relatively big clips and then I was like, Wow, okay, you know, we're actually getting checkouts are actually like people actually buying shoes making money from our software so that's when like that real like raw motivation comes in and you're like okay i'm not stopping now i'm not giving up and then you know more or less in beta i think we hit almost every drop people ran for so you know it's once you've once you know you can do it once there's nothing really to stop you doing it again and again if you know what i mean
0: yeah so the reason why i'm focusing like income streams is because we talked about entrepreneurship uh, earlier in the episode and that is something i am going to touch on later but um during this time let, let's say uh, a uk lockdown it was obviously march at the time and you uh, you merged you created zonos through merging menace and Jbot in april at the beginning of april during that time you're spending on menace did you have a part-time job or what was your income stream like at the time? Um, it
1: was literally just from like regular reselling pretty much. So I was just okay. having to, um, just whatever I was reselling then was uh, was keeping me afloat almost, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, a lot of people do do that, and they focus their time on something they're passionate about, and obviously, in this case, it paid off. Obviously, there are some cases where people invest time in the wrong things, and it just leads into a bad situation, but through the success of Zonos, obviously, you're in a better position now, and obviously, I'm very happy about that. But uh, one thing I do want to speak about, so when Zonos came out of bear, and you did its first initial release, how have you evolved Zonos from that point?
1: Um, So 1.0 was us coming out of beta where we added five new sites, a rewrite of a few more sites, and then we went paid. So from – because we came out of beta almost two months ago. It was on the 6th of September. And then from then, users users who have been there since beta can attest to how crazy the growth has been. Like, as you've seen, because you're in the server – You've seen I've been putting new sites on a new framework. And, you know, the, what I've been doing, like completely rewriting the sites and the performance of these sites is crazy to how it was on the old framework and the code engine. So, you know, every day, every day, me, Thomas and Ben, we're all like, how can we do better? What can we do that's new? How can we improve what we currently have? So just like how can we be better every day, you know, every, every time I open up the code, you know, what can I do to make it better than it was previously, you know, from the previous release, or, you know, getting feedback from a release and then making changes
0: So one thing that, a question that's just kind of came to my mind now, I'd say you're pretty experienced as a coder, obviously you own a a company that distributes software, and I think one thing that is piquing my interest, at this point where you're literally, you've got a user base, you have got a successful company, you're making a good amount of money, as a coder, do you still find yourself researching stuff online or is it all from recall knowledge of you doing previous projects? Um, mostly now
1: it's from retained knowledge that I knew anyway, but I'd be lying if I said, you know, every developer will have to Google something more or less every day to make it better because, you know, you'd be, you'd be doing yourself a disservice by, you know, staying true and not Googling anything. So, like you know, it, we, let's say, for example, what I was talking about previously and the new code engine and the framework you know i had to google a fair bit for that as i was completely rewriting the sites and how to make the code more efficient and then you know a couple of google searches and i'm like oh okay i know what i'm doing now and then um um ben can say the first site took a few days but then the second site i rewrote probably took me i think about an hour so you know once i got over that initial hurdle i was like boom okay i know what i'm doing let's go
0: That's very interesting, it obviously attests to the previous statement that you made where once you learn obviously the first thing, the second thing, third thing, fourth thing, fifth thing and continuously Becomes easier because you're so much more used to it, and that obviously attests to Zonos' success that we do see today. So, Zonas is a fairly successful bot at the moment. Obviously, it's became very big. I noticed it on my timeline when it's blowing up. All these big groups are reaching out to work with you. You've got some very good partnerships. The company is doing very, very well. But how does the success of Zonos affect you?
1: Um, I would say it's mostly been positive. Like, you know, when we launched, I was on holiday, I was away in Greece, and you know, I was, um, I was at dinner and you know i look you know i looked and ben was like you know everybody's going crazy and i just sat there like with the biggest smile on my face you know i just thought wow like so many people want something like i i have made like into me it's just a crazy feeling but on the other hand um there's been some negatives cuz when you get bigger there's always people that are going to not like what you do, you know, like you know, who you are, whatever. And people try and hate whenever. And to be honest, it doesn't really affect me because I know that my goal is to make our users who are in the server cook, you know, and like you know, no, we've only ever had to ban I think two people out of all of our users for being like really toxic, and everybody else mm-hmm. is really nice, you know, really, really good people. And I always think all the people that are hating, chances are they would never ever say that to me in person. You know, every, you know yeah. everybody, everybody's six foot four, and hinch over Discord or over Twitter.
0: Yeah, it does attest to the idea that obviously this community does have a lot of toxicity within it because it is centered around money. And I've spoken about this before. I'd say it again, like it is pretty toxic for. our percent. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, there is a ton of there is a ton of positives with it, but one aspect I do want to speak about is your personal life. So obviously you're a developer, you're making all this money, you got a successful company, but how has Zonos affected your personal life, both positively and negatively?
1: Positively, it means, you know, um, with the success from it, thankfully, um, I can buy stuff for other people. You know, that's mainly what it is like, you know, Christmas is coming up and I know that I can get, I can buy really like lovely stuff for all my friends, family and stuff. And I don't, have to worry about it, which is a lovely feeling to have that sadly, you know, a lot of people in this country can't do, which makes me feel very grateful and humbled that I'm in a position to do this. Or, you know, I can, you know, you know, money worries is a lot, lot less, thankfully. And then I wouldn't say there's been many, ne- I don't think there's any negatives that I can think of really
0: particularly in there. Uh, well, one major negative that most of others bring up are owners of groups and I, I thought you might have brought it up but it doesn't seem like you did. Maybe it doesn't affect you we'll see but um, is the idea of allocating time between their personal life and their companies and a lot of people do battle with this quite a bit. Have you experienced that or have you managed to balance it
1: well? It's been pretty balanced because obviously we're in lockdown too now. You know, I haven't actually set foot in an education building since March so you know every, you know cuz everything's online you know it's allowed it's a lot easier to manage my time then you know so I can work on the bot while also doing uni work as well and I do I'm doing a computer science degree as well so it all overlaps mm. quite a fair bit so it, it allows me to manage it a lot more efficiently and not get caught up with doing one thing more than the other
0: okay that's pretty interesting obviously for me I'm in college still I'm in my last year of college within the UK so I obviously have to keep going into college the only thing that's ever affected me so far is that I literally have no social life which is great you know 17 years old no social life this is great but it has created a lot of businesses throughout these lockdowns like I'll tell you viewership for the bot talk was dramatically up during lockdown because everyone's at home the gaming industry you've seen loads of streamers come out of nowhere you've seen gaming companies make tons of tons of money any type of businesses that adapt for the current situation are just making a lot of money and obviously um botting and sneaker reselling in general have seen an uptick in people joining because people are researching what they can do to make money obviously they're on furlough they're losing income some people are losing their jobs so it creates this whole idea of wanting to create my money and then fueling this community.
1: Oh yeah, hundred percent. Because um, even I've got like my friends asking me, going, "Yo, I know you resell, and I know like roughly what button is. Any chance you can like talk me through it? Because you know I'm I'm on furlough, or um, you know I'm I'm at uni, and you know, or I can't go to a part time job. I know you do okay from it. You know how do I? get started with it and all I say is well join a cook group pretty much because I say like it's incredibly overwhelming initially I was like just spend I'd say you know maybe a week maybe even more just really learning just getting in with the community because that will benefit you largely than just going straight in buying a random bot you have no idea what it does you know what sites it supports or whatever so you know to a lot of people a lot of people are more interested in it as well. Because as, you know, people will take any sort of income stream now, now that they're on furlough or you know, they can't get to jobs, etc., etc. et cetera.
0: Yeah, exactly. It does pique a lot of interest because you're able to generate a lot of money online. And generally speaking, for as long as I can remember, and probably long after we have this conversation, kids or young people generating money online will always seem dodgy at first. Like regardless, like I'm pretty sure when you first started making your money from cook groups or something maybe you had this conversation with your parents maybe your parents were like where's this money coming from i i remember i had this conversation with my parents i had to kind of explain what i did and how i'm making this money for them to then understand it and i feel like a lot of people in this community have that same conversation as well
1: yeah i had 100 100 had that conversation so you know my dad would be like oh how much you get in a month from these cook these groups um and i was like oh x amount and he was like oh, he was like, oh, um, do these people pay you on time? I was like, yeah. He was like, how do they pay you? And I was like, through PayPal. He was like, are you sure they're legit? I'm like, yes, like they, they're literally registered businesses. You know, it's all it's all above board. You know, it's not like when people hear making money online, they always, most people will genuinely think about, you know, illegal sort of stuff, you know. And when you start mentioning bot." and all these sort of big scary words to outside people they're like oh that doesn't sound good you know you're gonna end up in prison
0: yeah i mean like when i uh when i because obviously i'm going to university next year so when it comes to doing my application to go to university and yeah, when teachers are talking about in meetings about like what you do for a living to make money i'm just sat there like what do i even say like because if anything i'm gonna express they're just gonna look on me weird so i just say i'm self-employed and that's it and I just kind of leave it there because me trying to explain what I do, me trying to explain where this money comes from. As long as I can explain it to the IRS, man, then after that I'm fine. Because like, like you said, again, people just have so many questions and they just think it's wrong. Yeah,
1: it's because it's quite, um, it's quite a grey area for a lot of people. Like they're like, is it is it legal? Are you sure? And you're like, well, well, I think so.
0: Yeah, it is a grey area generally speaking because like, there's no laws really. There's no regulation whatsoever at the moment, so I think maybe we are moving towards that. Obviously, as time goes on, regulation at any can come in at any point. Like we could wake up tomorrow and see a tweet from like BBC News saying X Y Z are doing X Y Z. Like I don't know what it looked like, but regulation could come. But for now, obviously, like you said, it is a gold mine. You make the money whilst we're here. If regulation does come in, that's fine. You know, we put our hands up, we say, "Yo, it's done." That's fine. We move on. It was like ticket reselling. Ticket reselling in the US, I'm pretty sure, is illegal. It got regulated that market. So, you know, entrepreneurs, which is pretty much everyone in this community, will definitely find a way to go ahead and make money elsewhere. But one thing I did want to speak about uh, now that we're talking about income streams and stuff like that have you ever looked outside the community now that you have this skill set of being a developer, or has it always been just focusing on Zonos?
1: I'm still just focusing on Zonos, to be fair. Like mm. I've obviously looked for coding jobs, but I just think that just it just looks so boring like the job description. You know, I don't get how, you know, I could wake up every day and be like, oh, I can't wait to go and look at um, data for nine hours a day and then go home. You know, because you want something more than the money as well, you want to wake up. You want to be like, you know, I want I want to work on this, not that I have to, you know, it's like intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation
0: yeah definitely i mean when you want to do something you execute it better when you don't want to do something it becomes mandatory you don't want to do it and obviously that affects the uh quality of what you deliver but uh something else that i did want to tap into you're at university at the moment are you in your second year or your first year
1: second i'm in my year. first year
0: oh first year okay fair enough so when you get out of university assuming that everything is still the same obviously zonas i hope is pretty it's still pretty successful no regulations came in, and these sites are still boughtable. Do you expect yourself to just fully throw yourself into Zonas and stay in this community, or would you see yourself getting a job?
1: It honestly depends on what the income would be then, because when you come out of uni, you know, your student loan, you've got, you know, nearly 30 grand's worth of debt, so obviously the money then becomes a lot bigger priority. Instead of thinking, oh, this money I can go and buy, you know, expensive coat expensive shoes you gotta think okay how am i paying my bills you know how am i paying this how am i paying that so if the money is still there then i would go full time on it but if it's been around hypothetically as you say for so long then i would hope that it will be and i don't think i wouldn't want to let myself let my company get to a point where it wouldn't be worth me doing it full time if that makes sense
0: yeah, definitely. I can definitely see zonas being successful for a very long time. And to be honest, it's right at like, the beginning. Like like you said, it came out a bit in September, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, bro, this isn't even... We're not even talking six months. We're talking, like, two months. If that, like, zonas is at the very start. If you look at something like Cyber, it's been around for years. If you look at something like Barco, there's a ton of bots I can name. zonas is right at Inception. I've talked with you... Ben, staff members behind closed doors it looks like it's going to be a very big thing i'm very happy for you about that and i'm very excited to see where it goes into in the future but just to go ahead and wrap up uh today's episode i have a few more questions and then we will move over to a special event we spoke about people in your personal life and them having misconceptions about what you do currently with the income you're making and obviously with your current uh business being on us what do people in your personal life think you do
1: um most of my close friends or my friends whatever they don't actually know i do this they just think i just resell they don't know i own a bot they don't know i do coding or whatever they just think oh he resells shoes that that's it like Mm -hmm. you know because they've never asked and i've I've never told just because it's never really came up in conversation
0: definitely so if your friends obviously have that type of idea about you what about your uh, close family your inner family what do they think about what you do
1: um, both my parents know what I do mm-hmm. and they're obviously they're very you know they're very proud and you know it's very it's exciting to say you know like my son owns a company or whatever mm-hmm. so you know and and you know they don't they all say they all know it's legal and everything so it's just nothing but support from them thankfully
0: yeah definitely that's a very very nice thing to hear it is quite interesting to say that you Know p- business owners are becoming younger as time goes on. Like, my dad he owned his first business when he was in his 20s. But obviously, we're te- where I'd consider us to be teenagers, to be honest. Like, teenagers going into young adolescence, like, uh, it's interesting to see how the age of business owners is becoming uh, younger and younger. And obviously, I'm 17, uh, you're 19, right? yeah, yeah. There's kids younger than us that own businesses as well, so it's 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 an interesting topic because entrepreneurs overall are just becoming younger as time goes on.
1: Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, you know, I I, I feel quite old in comparison to a lot of sneaker Twitter. Like, you know, and I see people go, oh, I'm like 15. And I'm like, what? Me at 15 could not do any of that. Nor if I, had, if I had as much money as they did at 15, I would have spent it all on stupid stuff. So I have nothing but admiration for them.
0: Yeah, definitely. There's, there's definitely some young people in this community that are making bugs. And it's just like, at 15, I wasn't doing that. But, you know, it is interesting to see. And obviously, it's a, it's a good thing to see. But just to go in and wrap up today's episode before the special event, what is the future for Zonos, in your opinion?
1: So, uh, as people in the Discord know, we've got the GUI coming very, very soon, which is extremely exciting. We've got more rewrite rewrites of... Current sites for the massive performance boosts, etc. And then um, announced two weeks ago, we're starting Zonos raffles and beta for that. We'll be starting within the next probably three weeks or so, dependent. So, you know, it's like, and see the stuff behind the scenes that I can't say yet, but it's all extremely exciting and I can't wait to release it to everyone.
0: Definitely, it does look like Zonos is becoming a business with multiple arms. You have Zonos Labs, you have Zonos Raffles, and I'm very excited to see what other arms you branch into because I definitely think you can. And to say that Zonos Labs overall hasn't been around for even more than a year at this point, it's going to be interesting to see one year from now if we do this episode again just to see where Zonos is at because obviously Zonos Raffles is coming. There will be an opportunity for you guys to go ahead and grab that up as well in this episode. But it's going to be interesting to see how Zonos grows and I'm very, very happy for your success. I'm also very happy to see where Zonis is at, at the moment and I'm excited to see it going forward. But just to go and wrap up today's subscribe, thank you, Alex, for coming on. His social medias will be down below, guys. If you guys want to check him out, I highly recommend you go ahead and check him out on Twitter. I will leave Zonos Labs, all their social medias down below as well. And now the special event is very simple, guys. You're going to have two opportunities to get two ty- different types of products. You're going to firstly get an opportunity to get access to Zonos ruffles. If I'm correctly speaking, Zonos Raffle bear invites haven't ever been publicly dropped before,
1: right? Yeah, this will be the first public drop of raffles invites, so that
0: is a big thing guys this will be the first ever drop the first ever drop ever done of zonos raffles so make sure you listen to the instructions on the next clip and then after that after that restock's done i'm going to give you guys a minute or two to calm down and then the countdown is going to commence again and then we're going to do a zonos labs restock as well so two restocks in this episode guys this cut this episode is about to cut to a quick explanation of how both those restocks are going to work and then the special event will take place Good luck, guys. Okay guys how this special event is going to work is very very simple so please pay attention to what I'm going to say. I'm going to repeat it as well so all you guys completely understand how both of these drops are going to work. So just to reiterate what I said in the episode Zonos Raffles will be dropping and Zonos Labs. So the first thing that's going to happen is Zonos Raffles and then it's going to move over to Zonos Labs. So if you want to go for both that's completely fine. Just pay attention to what I'm going to say now. So after this clip there's going to be a countdown on the screen of a few minutes and is going to be for Zonos Raffles, and how that is going to drop is via Discord invite. Very simply, I'm going to give you the majority of a Discord invite, and there's going to be some questions on the screen to figure out the final letters or numbers of that invite. Obviously, go ahead and solve the questions, put them at the end of the Discord invite, and join as fast as you can to go ahead and secure beta access to Zonos Raffles. After that, I'm going to leave that on the screen for a minute or two, and then we're going to switch over to another countdown that's going to be shorter than the first one, but that is going to be for zonos labs and how that is going to work is via a link on their website so essentially you need a password to go to the actual restock for this episode i'm going to give you majority of the password and there's going to be a few questions on the screen to go ahead and crack the rest of the letters and numbers for that password and once again you solve the questions you get those letters and numbers you put at the end of the password you go to the link and then you can go ahead and check out zonos labs but once again guys you're going to have to solve questions on the screen these questions are very very simple they're basic knowledge once you answer them you can go ahead and participate in either the zonos ruffles discord invite drop or the zonos labs restock go look guys